Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I knew a couple weeks ago that I wanted to preach on the wise men. So I'm going to preach today on the wise men. That was one aspect of the story of the birth of Jesus. And I want to read a little lengthy passage in Matthew chapter 2. While you're turning, let me give you something. A lot of you are newer. You've come the last year or two. And something that I started a number of years ago. And I want to share it with you. You might want to consider doing this. Uh, On Christmas Day tomorrow, some point at some time, I'll get by myself. I'll open my Bible. And I'll read the passage in Luke and the passage in Matthew about the Christmas story. And you might want to do it with your family. But it's just something that I started years ago. I thought, I'm not going to go through Christmas Day without going back and reading the story so that it keeps me grounded. I always want to stay grounded. You know, family and turkey and gifts and all that's great. But I always want to stay grounded on what this day is all about. So Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts or gifts to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You can be seated this morning. I think if you know anything about the Bible, you knew that Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth. However, you may not know that he spent his first two years living in the town of Bethlehem. According to the law of Moses, uh, Mary was ceremonially unclean after giving birth to Jesus. 41 days after his birth, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus traveled six miles to Jerusalem, and at the temple, Mary offered a sacrifice for her purification. But instead of returning to Nazareth, they returned to Bethlehem, where Joseph found work, probably as a carpenter, and found them a house to live in. So for the record, the only ones at the manger were the shepherds. So sorry to blow all of your nativity scenes in your house. And Matthew tells us that wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. The Greek word that is used here for wise men is magi. These men came either from Persia 
or Arabia or Babylon, modern-day Iran or Iraq. And they were priest sages and students of astrology and medicine and religion and philosophy. And their understanding of science was nothing like our concept of science. Often it included superstition. As a matter of fact, it is from the word magi that we get our word magician, M-A-G-I-C-I-A-N. And there are some myths about the magi. Let me just deal with them today. First of all, there is a myth that there were three of them. Well, actually, the Bible doesn't say how many magi there were. We just assume there are three because there are three gifts given. Another myth is that they were kings. Have you heard the old Christmas carol, We Three Kings of Orient Are Bearing Gifts, uh, We Travis Afar? But the Bible doesn't say they're kings. They're probably, probably they weren't royalty. The third myth is that it was just the three of them that showed up. And uh, assuming that there was three, then it's imagined that they came all that way by themselves. Well, that would have been incredibly dangerous because of bandits. So most likely, if you can get this in your mind, there was an entire entourage with them, soldiers and servants. I don't know how many there could have been, but it would have been quite a scene coming into Bethlehem. Typically, the Magi were pagans. They were not believers in Jehovah, but there was something different about these Magi who came to see Jesus. They had knowledge of the Messiah. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? And so where did they get this from? Well, I think it goes back to the Babylonian captivity where men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, among others, taught these people the law, talked to them about the law, and so they learned the stories about the coming of the Messiah. And I tend to believe that just as Abraham was called out of Ur of Chaldees to follow Jehovah, that these magi left their pagan religion in pursuit of the true and the living God. The Bible says that they observed an unusual and extraordinary star in the heavens. Many people have tried to explain this star as a natural phenomenon. I studied on this recently. Some thought that what they saw might have been a nova, a star that suddenly increases in brightness. Others think that they could have perceived a supernova, a giant stellar explosion. One of the most popular suggestions is that there was the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. They came together, crossed each other's path in their orbital paths. They came close together. And so the brightness of both planets gave the appearance of a bright single star. But if you study science, none of these explanations satisfactorily explain the star of Bethlehem. I think you're going to have to leave the realm of the natural to understand what's going on here. I think you have to understand that this star was a supernatural phenomenon. God used it to divinely guide the wise men to the house where Jesus dwelled. I've never heard of a moving star, have you? I know that if you watch through a telescope, it seems like the stars are moving. Actually, the earth is moving, <laughs> If you've ever put a telescope up and you're watching it in about five or 10 minutes, whatever you're watching starts moving out of the frame. So there's not really a moving star unless it's divine. 
But have you ever considered the lengths that God went in order to bring people to baby Jesus? For the shepherds, it was an angelic host. For the wise men, it was a moving star. And let me just stop right here. I've been doing a lot of teaching, but let me preach. I'm convinced that God wants each and every one of us who are born again to be our own star of Bethlehem. In other words, God can use us to draw people to Jesus. There is biblical grounds for what I'm proposing. In Philippians chapter two, verses 14 and 15, Paul writing to the church at Philippi said, do all things without complaining or disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Watch this. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. You're supposed to be a light in this world. I was thinking about the Christmas story. Many Americans are like the shepherds, okay? They fall in the category of the shepherds, maybe lower class, perhaps poor, not highly connected, little or no education, blue collar, hardworking, salt of the earth kind of people. A lot of people in America fall in that category. And then there are a lot of people who are like the wise men. They're white collar, middle or upper class, probably highly educated, successful, financially solid and prosperous. Here's what I want to say to you. Both groups of Americans, shepherd and wise men, if you will, desperately need Jesus. And a lot of those people contain little or no knowledge of God or Jesus, but they need to be saved from their sins. They need someone to show them how that can happen, and God has designated that you shine the light, that you bring them to the Lord. And that's why on this Christmas Eve, we need to be reminded of why Jesus came, and we need to be able to, we need to be determined that from today on always, God, if you need me, here I am. When I go to work this week, if somebody needs to know about the Lord, here I am. I'll talk to them. I want to live in such a way that when they look at me, they think of Jesus. Can the church say amen to that? So within this story, and I'm cl closing with this, I want to finish with this, so tell the children's department it might be quick. They're going to be shocked two Sundays in a row. Within this story is a question that serves as a theme. Where is he? Where is he? That's the theme of this story. Where is he? And there are three particular groups of characters, characters or groups of characters that come into play in this story with this question. First, there is Herod, the king. Herod asked this question, where is he? Now, this was interesting because Herod was technically the king of the Jews. Rome had put him into that position of power, the Roman government had. So, Technically, he was king of the Jews, and he was a little concerned when foreigners show up and said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And you can imagine Herod's going, well, wait a minute, that's me. Well, I know, but there's another king of the Jews that has been born. Where is he? And so Herod wanted to know, where is he? He asked the Jewish leaders, where is he? But he sought Jesus for the wrong reasons. He perceived the young child, Jesus, as a rival to his throne and his political power. He wanted to eliminate the threat. And yes, he did try to kill Jesus. 
He killed every baby, every young child, every toddler two years of age and younger. By the way, he was crazy. In his last years, he became insane. So some of this was a reflection of his insanity. Now, we, we look at this from a historical point of view. But I'd like to now spiritualize it. I have met non-religious individuals who could identify with Herod. They think they're in control of their lives. They're the king of their lives, the queen of the lives, so they think. They're independent. They feel no accountability to anyone, even God, especially God. And they've tried to eliminate God, Jesus, from their lives. These are people that fall in the category of atheism or agnosticism. There is no God. There is no God that I have to answer to. And some of these, like Herod, see Jesus as a threat. And you and I know this. There are people who are atheists, people who are anti-God, and they live to attempt to remove God from our culture, to remove him from our society, from the public arena, from government, from schools, from the workplace. Isn't it sad that in a nation like America, you can't even have a nativity scene in a government building? Isn't it sad that we can't have Christmas programs going on in our schools? We've gotten so used to it. We've just went and swallowed the pill, separation of church and state. That's not even what it means. But we've just bought into it. But you just better be on your guard that there will always be Herods. And I think there are more of them today than ever before in our great nation who are doing everything they can as activists to try to push you into a corner and they'll say, you can serve your Jesus, just do it at home and do it in your church building on Sunday morning, but we don't want to hear anything else about him. That's not the way it works. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Not going to hide my light because I want to make you comfortable. I don't want to hide my light, my beliefs, and my faith, and my relationship with God just because you don't have one. Ooh, I'm preaching now. And I have met religious individuals, not saved, just religious, who are like Herod. They give the appearance that they want to be associated with Jesus. Herod said, go find the young child and come back and tell me where he is so I can go worship. That was a bunch of baloney. He wanted to kill him. But he gave the appearance of someone who wanted to worship the Lord. And there are people today in America that go to church and they go through the motions of worshiping God, but they don't really live for the Lord. They don't want God to claim sovereignty over their lives. Not at all. They compartmentalize him. I'll worship you on Sunday, Christmas Sunday, and on Easter, or maybe on Sunday when I go do my religious activity, my liturgy, and go through my motions. And I'll worship you with my mouth. I'll honor you with my lips. My heart is far from you. On Monday, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so they compartmentalize some sins, and they tell God certain areas are off limits for him. So let me just say right now this morning for those two groups, number one, you will never eradicate God from America. You'll never eradicate God from the world. He's God, okay? You don't have that kind of power. 
That's arrogance. That's ignorance. And, and you are created and a created being who will one day stand before God and have to give an account of your life. And you can call me a fool if you want to, but deep down you know I'm telling you the truth. Number two, for the group that's religious, but yet not really saved, you cannot claim to follow God and not be in total submission to him. You don't get to pick and choose the areas of his sovereignty in your life. When you get saved, everything goes to him. And, and it's a cliche now, but it's a good one, so you can repeat it. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So you give him everything, and then he gives you everything. So Herod asked that question. And then the chief priests and the scribes asked this question, where is he? And they were Jewish religious leaders, and so they went to the Bible. They looked to the Old Testament prophecies to find the answer, and they found what they were looking for, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, Whoever, uh, whoever who's going forth are from old, from everlasting. And other scriptures told them that the Messiah would be a Jew from the tribe of Judah. He would be a descendant of King David. He would be born to a virgin. Now here's an interesting point. The chief priests and the scribes knew who Jesus was. They knew where to find him, Bethlehem, and they didn't do one thing about it. You ever think about that? They didn't do one thing about it. And there's an irony here. The people with the least Bible knowledge, the Magi, were determined to get to Jesus. The people with the most Bible knowledge could care less. The Magi traveled hundreds upon hundreds of miles in search of the Messiah. The Jewish leader's distance to Christ was only six miles, but they stayed at home. I think this is a warning to us. We know so much. We have been given so much. But are we willing to do something good with what we have? The Jewish leaders could have led the Magi to Jesus, but they refused to offer to help. They're not from there. Where's Bethlehem? Well, it's six miles this way. Okay. Can anybody take us there? No, we're too busy. Got too many other things going on. We know about him. We know where you can find him. A lot of people have grown up in church. They know a lot about Jesus. They can even tell you, you know, if you want to really do it, you got to do this thing called getting saved. Are you saved? No. Can you tell me how to be saved? Not really. Isn't that that's, that's the irony? Lots of people that go to church that are going to die and go to hell. That's scary, isn't it? A lot of people going to church their whole life, and they're going to die and go to hell. Let me ask you a question today on Christmas Eve. Who are you leading to Jesus? Are you bold and passionate about Jesus and telling others about him? Are you willing to suffer a little inconvenience to share the gospel with a sinner so they can encounter Jesus and be saved? I put this in my notes, and I hope you'll pay attention to this. God doesn't reward the knowledge in your head as much as he does the hunger in your heart. You can know about him all day long, 
but it's not until you get hungry for him. And he comes into your heart, and you have a walking, living relationship with him every day of your life that all of a sudden it means something. The last group is the wise men. The wise men did ask this question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? I think they were asking it like this. Where is the one who is God in the flesh? Where is the one who will deliver mankind from the bondage of sin? Where is the one who will give my life meaning and fill the void inside of me? Where is the solution to my sin problem? The wise men looked for him, and by the grace of God, they found him. God used a supernatural star to lead them to the Christ. Woo, I'm feeling something right now. Didn't even think about The Jewish leaders wouldn't get him to Jesus, but God said, I'll do it all by myself. And he took a supernatural star and said, just follow me. Isn't that cool? Here's what that tells me. God knows just how to reach the lost sinner. He knows just how to get to you. You know, everybody's different. God knows he can't. Any of y'all have children, even grandchildren? You deal with each one differently, right? Right, you can't, you can't deal with one the way you do with another. I'm learning that boys and girls are entirely different when you're dealing with them. All right, now the three, the three boys that Jaron has, I deal with them one way. They don't straighten up. I, I can holler at them, yell at them. I scared them the other day. I took the flat. They were just getting out. I took the flat of my hand. I slapped the table. Whack! They weren't used to seeing Papaw do that. You don't straighten up. I said, I might whoop you for the first time. Otherwise, daddy's going to whoop you when he gets home. I just put him under the bus. <laughs> but Sadie, little Sadie May, Jerry and Mary Beth went off on a trip. They came back, pulled in the garage, and I said, hey, they were out in the garage, and I opened the door, and she looked at me and went, Aah! I shut the door. I said, see you later. I don't have the touch with her. Woo, girls. It's like, okay, this is a whole other species right here. I'll wait till she gets three or four or five somewhere in there. She's tender and gets her feelings hurt real easy. How many know God knows everybody's different? And God knows just how to reach everybody. He knows what to do. He knows who to send. He knows how to go about it. Because each person is different, responds differently. But here's what I know, y'all. God has the power, the ability to shine the light on a sinner's heart and in their mind and help them to see Jesus. I hope there's somebody here today that you don't know the, the Lord, that something I say today, something that's done here today, God will use it to reach you. And sometimes, a lot of times it's preaching. Sometimes it's not. I love this story. There's a story about a man that wasn't saved that went to a revival service. And when the evangelist, the evangelist preached and gave an altar call, the man went down to the altar and gave his life to the Lord. So when he got up, the evangelist said, man, this is great. You got saved. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, I'm just asking for me. It'll help me in my ministry. What was it I said tonight when I was preaching that God used to reach you? 
sort of sheepishly, the guy looked at the evangelist and said, Preacher, I hate to hurt your feelings, but it wasn't one thing you did. He said, okay. He said, what was it? They were in a Pentecostal church. Somewhere in the service, they got to singing and the Spirit of God began to move and there was a little old grandma sitting a few rows in front of him. She got up and she started shouting like we do sometimes. She was worshiping, praising the Lord. He said, I don't know who that little white-haired woman was in front of me shouting tonight, but he said, when I saw her rejoicing in the Lord, he said, that's the way my grandma used to shout. My grandma was a godly woman. She shined Jesus. She was the real deal. And when I looked at that little lady tonight and thought about my grandma, I thought, you know what? I need to get back to what my grandma believed. I need to be saved. He said, I came to that altar because that little old lady reminded me of my grandmother. I needed Jesus. So you never know who's watching you. You never know who's watching your life. You never know how God may be using you to reach somebody. The wise men presented Jesus with three gifts that are highly symbolic. Gold, an incredibly valuable gift fit for a king. Frankincense, a gift for a priest since it was offered in worship in the temple. And then finally, myrrh, a gift for one who would die. Myrrh was used in embalming. Now I could preach a whole series, a whole message rather, on the, just the gifts isn't it amazing, and I think Pastor Amy is teaching the kids this this morning in our children's ministry, isn't it amazing that they bought three gifts that didn't come from the toy department at Walmart? Have you thought about that? He was probably about two. And they brought a two-year-old gold coins and incense and myrrh used to embalm people when they die. That doesn't even make sense. But you have to understand, this was no ordinary child. This was the son of the living God. So what's the significance? Gold fit for a king. This baby was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was a sovereign God. What about the, the frankincense? You put it on fire and smoke goes up like incense. Jesus is our great high priest who offered himself, not a lamb, but himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That's what's so cool about God. He's the gift and the giver. He's the offerer and the offering. He's the high priest and the sacrifice, which leads me to the third point, myrrh. That little baby was the Lamb of God who would die in our place, who takes away the sins of the world. I want the musicians to come and somebody warn the children's department. If you're visiting today, usually I go to about 11.15. That's why everybody's shocked. Yes, true. I thank you. I appreciate that. A.J. Gordon was a Baptist preacher and the pastor of the Clarendon Church in Boston, Massachusetts. And one day, he met a boy in front of the church carrying a rusty cage with some wild birds in the cage, fluttering nervously. 
A.J. Gordon said, son, where'd you get these birds? He said, I trapped them in the field, preacher. He said, what are you going to do with them? He said, I'm going to play with them, and then I'm going to feed them my, to my old Tom cat. I'm going to give them to him, let him eat them. A.J. Gordon looked at the boy and said, tell you what, son, I'll give you $2 for that cage and the birds. Little boy was shocked. He said, Mr., you don't want them. They're just little old birds that they can't sing well. He said, no, son, I'll give you $2 for them. Once I pay for them, they're mine. He said, okay, it's a deal, but you're making a bad bargain, mister. And A.J. Gordon gave him $2, and the little boy went off whistling, happy with his $2. And A.J. Gordon went around the back of the church and opened that door and let those birds out and let them go free. And the reason I tell you that story is because that story can explain what Jesus did for us. When you're in sin, you're in a cage. The devil has you bound. Sin has you bound. You think you're living your little life inside that cage, fluttering around, but that's not living. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care who you know, how many connections you have, how nice and wonderful your family is, how much education you have, your financial portfolio. I don't care. You're in a cage. You're in a cage of sin. And God knows that if something isn't done one of these days, Sin and the devil are going to take you and play with you and toy with you and mess with you and destroy your life and then one day feed you the old cat called hell. But the Son of God robed with flesh and was born to the Virgin Mary to grow up to become a man, to die on a cross, to give his life. And when he did, he opened the cage door and set you free. He paid the price. It wasn't $2. It wasn't $2. It was his life. He laid it down and picked it up again. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the anointing. How about y'all? I'm so glad he did it. I don't want to be stuck in an old rusty cage. Do you? No, I'm glad that I know. He whom the sun sets free... Come on, help me. It's free indeed. He set me free. Yes, he set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. For glory to God, he set me free. And I'm free. Not free to go do what I want to do. and Say, bye, thank you, see you later. But I'm free to serve him. To walk with him and talk with him and live with him. He, comes in my, he lives in my heart Woo! to feel the Lord every day. I feel the Holy Ghost. If you don't feel the Lord, I feel sorry for you, but you can feel the Lord if you'll just cry out to him today. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Stand with me this morning. Come on, musicians. I feel the Spirit of God in this house. Do you know where he is? Do you know where he is? Oh, he's up in heaven. Well, that's true. That's not the only place he can be. Do you know where he is? Well, he's in my Bible. I read about him. That's right. He is in the Bible. But he's in more places than that. Do you know where he is? 
Pastor, I think he's here this morning in our church. He is. Through the Spirit of God, the Lord's right here. That's why it's feeling pretty good in this place right now. I'm feeling tingles and goosebumps because he's here. That's not the only place where he can be. Where is he? Oh, you already know it. Some of you are saying it. Go ahead. Put your hand right here. Where is he? Woo, I feel him. He's right here, baby. He's right here. Look at two or three people if you're saved and say, he's right here. I got him right here. He's not on a manger. He's not on a cross. He's not in a tomb. He's right here. Woo, somebody praise him in this house. Somebody praise him in this house. He's right here. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Lift your hands right now and just praise Him all over this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you're right here in my heart. When I got saved, you took up, the sin went out, and Jesus came in. Everywhere I go, the Lord is always with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. On Christmas Eve Sunday, with every head bowed, every eye closed, let's pray the sinner's prayer. If you need to get saved, I'm going to help you right now. You just pray this prayer, but you have faith. You lean on God's grace. You can't do anything to save yourself. Just say, God, if it's going to happen, you got to give it to me. Everybody say, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm so sorry for my sins. I don't want to be this way anymore. I know Jesus came to this earth born of a virgin, laid in a manger, grew to be a man, died on a cross, rose from the dead, lives to be my Savior. I believe it. And on that basis, I ask you to forgive me. Take away my sins. Wash me and cleanse me. I'm sorry, God. Change my life. I give my life to you. I repent of my sins. I'm, I'm not going back to my sins after today. I'm going to live for you from this day forward. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. So thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you, Lord, that I can answer the question, where is he? You're right here. Woo, come on, hit yourself right here. You're right here, Lord. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. You're right here. I'm glad you're right here. I'm taking you home with me today. Come on, say it. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I know that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head up, every eye open. Somebody give God praise this morning. We're going to believe some people got saved today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.